all things may change, but they never die. Welcome to Sojourner's Pagan Podcast, where we explore the old paths and those who travel them. I am your host, Nether Forever. You can reach me at cjones9116 at gmail.com with anything at all on your mind. Currently, we are going through the Metamorphoses of Ovid, and this week's tale is one of victory, of loss, and of sadness. There is a wreath made from a green, leafy herb. It is not particularly remarkable of itself, but for millennia it has evoked the image of victory. This is the laurel wreath. Blessed by Apollo, it has been the crown of Olympians, Caesars, triumphant generals parading through the seven hills of Rome. But its tail is mixed with bitterness, and how it came to mean victory was only through defeat. Now, we're going to cover some herbology real quick about laurel for those of you who are interested. This information comes from Wikipedia. Laurel is sacred to Apollo and is appropriate decoration for any altar to him. Its spicy fragrance and association with the sun makes it appropriate for any festival of a sun. It is ruled by Leo, the sun, and the element of fire. Bay leaves, bay is another name for laurel, laurel bay leaves still used in seasoning different things, can be used to asperge a space, object, or person in preparation or as a part of any ritual. A branch of many leaves may be used in a group situation. Bay leaves may be added to any spell or potion designed to enhance psychic ability and is a great addition to a psychic dream pillow. Bay leaf is exceptionally useful as a fumigant during banishing and exorcism rites, especially those involving poltergeists. Mixed with sandalwood, it is useful for breaking curses. Bay laurel may be carried to protect against any number of misfortunes and to bring luck in athletic competitions. Again, that's the herbology. Um, I know some of you aren't really interested in it. Some people are. It's there if you want it. And again, that all came from Wikipedia. But back to Ovid. Zeus had flooded the world, destroying it. The crimes of King Lycan were too much for any to bear. King Lycan shared with the wolf the same ravenous appetite for human flesh and blood. And it was for this he was transformed into that creature. He was the first lycanthrope, and all since him bear his name. It was for his crimes of offering Zeus human blood that the world was destroyed. There is something to be said there about human sacrifice and different cultures. I think it's fairly obvious. Just because they were pagan didn't mean they were into human sacrifice. It was actually quite rare in most of a civilized ancient world, depending. Assyrians don't count. But after Zeus destroyed the world, the world, which was covered in water, again took new form and shapes. It began to give birth again. When heat and moisture are mixed, they conceive, and from these two things the whole of life originates. And though fire and water fight each other, heat and moisture create everything. It is this discordant union which is suitable for growth. Still, 
There are many magical systems that classify elements by these two qualities, moisture and heat, whether something is moist or dry, whether something is hot or cold. The four elements are all classified as either moist and hot, moist and cold, dry and hot, dry and cold. It is the convergence of elements that creation happens. Many will invoke the elements as a standard practice of their ritual, bringing the discordant forces of the elements together to work a change or a creation, and if you'd like to call it, you could call it a spell. So when the earth muddied from the recent flood, glowed again, heated by the deep heaven-sent light of the sun, she produced innumerable species, partly remaking previous forms, partly creating new, terrible monsters. One of these such monsters was the serpent python. Massive, its coils spanned across mountains. Its belly was filled with plague and hate. Its fangs were large and oozed black venom. Indeed, though she would not have desired to, Terra gave birth to you, great python, covering so great an area of the mountain slopes, a snake that had not known before, a tear to the new race of men, preying on them. Then the archer god Apollo, with lethal shafts that he had only used before on fleeing red deer and roe deer, took a thousand arrows, emptying his quiver, destroyed the creature, a venom running from his black wounds, poisoning the land where the serpent laid. Then Apollo founded the sacred Pythian Games, celebrated by contests, named from the serpent that he had conquered. There, the young winners in boxing and foot and chariot racing were honored with reefs of oak tree. There was no laurel as yet, so Phoebus, Apollo, crowned his temples, his handsome curling hair with leaves of any tree. Phoebus, or as many know him Apollo, was one of the twins born to Zeus by Leto. His twin sister was Artemis, the huntress. Phoebus is the god of archery, of healing, of oracles oracles being prophets, seers, visions. He was also the god of music and poetry and herds. It was he who drove the sun across the sky in his chariot with supreme skill, never driving too close as to scorch the earth, never too far away as to freeze. The time would come when Apollo would father children, grow into a powerful, benevolent god, who walked often among men and took a great interest in them. But this was when he was young, perhaps barely even out of boyhood. There are spirits called nymphs. They are spirits of nature, often very beautiful. There are nymphs of groves. There's green-haired nymphs of the sea and of rivers. One such nymph was Daphne. Phoebus's first love was the nymph Daphne, daughter of Peneus, and not through chance, but because of Cupid's fierce anger. Recently, the Delian god Apollo, exulting at his victory over the serpent, had seen Cupid bending his tightly strung bow, and said, Impudent boy, what are you doing with a man's weapons? That one is suited to my shoulders, since I can hit wild beasts of a certainty, wound my enemies, and not long ago destroyed with countless arrows the swollen python that had concealed many acres with its plague-ridden belly. You should be intent on stirring the concealed fires of love with your burning brand, not laying claim to my glories. Venus's son replied, You may hit 
every other thing, Thebus, but my bow will strike you. To the degree that all living creatures are less than gods, by that degree is your glory less than mine. He spoke, and striking the air fiercely with beating wings, he landed on the shady peak of the Mount Parnassus. He took two arrows with opposite effects from his quither. One kindles love, the other dispels it. The one that kindles is golden with a sharp, glistening point. The one that dispels is blunt with lead beneath its shaft. With the second arrow, he transfixed Peneus's daughter Daphne. But with the first, he wounded Apollo, piercing him even to the marrow of his bones. Cupid is the child of Venus and Mars, the war god. Eros is another name for him. He is seen and portrayed as young and curly hair, and with beautiful white wings that he flies with. Cupid measures up greatly to the cuff of both his parents. Cupid is one of mankind's greatest testers, for it is in love, whether brotherly, parently, or between lovers, mankind finds his greatest joy. But it is also the force that can lead to obsession, and love cold and joyless that can lead man to deepest misery and rob his life of all that was once happy. Apollo, hit by this arrow, chased Daphne, and Daphne, struck by the opposing arrow, fled. While they chased and ran through mountains, Apollo cried out to her, Wait, nymph, daughter of Peneus, I beg you. I who am chasing you am not your enemy. Nymph, wait, this is the way a sheep runs from a wolf, a deer from the mountain lion, or a dove with fluttering wings flies from the eagle. Everything flies from its foes, but it is love that is driving me to follow you. Pity me. I am afraid you might fall headlong, or thorns undeservedly scar your legs, and I be a cause of grief to you. These are rough places that you run through. Slow down, I ask you. Check your flight, and I too will slow. At least inquire whom it is you have charmed. I am no mountain man, no shepherd, no rough guardian of the herds and flocks. Rash girl, you do not know, you cannot realize who you run from. And so you run. Delphi's lands are mine, the cities of Kleros and Tenedos, and Patara, they all acknowledge me king. Jupiter is my father. Through me, what was, what is, and what will be are revealed. Through me, strings sound in harmony to beautiful song. My aim is certain. But an arrow, truer than mine, has wounded my once free heart. The world calls me the bringer of aid. Medicine is my invention. My power is in herbs, but love cannot be healed by any herb. Nor can the arts that cure others cure their lord. He ran faster, Apollo. Amor gave him wings. He allowed her no rest, hung on her fleeing shoulders, breathed on the air flying around her neck. Daphne's strength was gone. She grew pale. Overcome by the effort of her rapid flight, seeing her father Peneus's waters near, Daphne cried out, Help me, father, if your streams have divine powers, change me, destroy this beauty that pleases too well. Her prayer was scarcely done when a heavy numbness seized her limbs. Thin bark closed over her breast. Her hair turned into leaves her arms into branches. 
her feet, so swift a mere moment ago, stuck fast in the slow-growing roots. Her face was lost in the canopy. Only her shining beauty was left. But this is not where the tale ends. Even like this, Phoebus loved her, and placing his hand against the trunk, he felt her heart still quivering under the new bark. He clasped the branches as if they were parts of human arms, and he kissed the wood. But even the wood shrank from his kisses, and the god said, Since you cannot be my bride, you must be my tree. Laurel, with you my hair will be reefed, with you my lyre, with you my quiver. You will go with the Roman generals when joyful voices acclaim their triumph, and the capital witnesses their long processions. You will stand outside Augustus's doorposts, a faithful guardian, and keep watch over the crown of oak between them. And just as my head, with its uncropped hair, is always young, so also will you wear the beauty of undying leaves. And then the spell of a leaden arrow was broken. Daphne, now named Laurel forevermore, saw this handsome stranger's eyes wet with tears and mouth whispering half-formed silent prayers, and her heart, although it was made of wood, rejoiced. The laurel tree bowed her newly made branches and seemed to shake her leafy crown like a head giving consent. It is quite likely that Thebus and Daphne, under less terrifying circumstances, would have found love in each other. Ah, but Amor and Cupid are not to be mocked. The line between love and obsession may be more slender and changing than we like to think. But even now, a laurel tree symbolizes victory. It has for millennia, and it will symbolize victory forever. Blessed by Phoebus, the laurel's leaves are green through all seasons. When Apollo wears this crown of laurels, he may think of his first love, Daphne who, in his ardor, he frightened her, and she in her despisement abhorred him. Perhaps Apollo thinks of the, the son of Mars, Cupid, with his quick and deadly aim, whose arrows can humble the proudest victor, for love conquers all. Perhaps Apollo remembers that past victories do not excuse one from danger. Perhaps Phoebus is humbled, and perhaps he smiles, remembering. This is the tale of Apollo and Daphne, as told by Ovid, a bittersweet tale. The meaning for pagans is less esoteric than may seem fit for a typically pagan discussion. But, as Apollo learned, we are not, regardless of our skill or position, immune to our feelings. The gods, by way of oracles and poets, left much knowledge to mankind. The esoteric nature of this knowledge varies, and that is because the tales are to teach not only higher or hidden knowledge, but knowledge so common that we, like Apollo, may scorn what we see as lesser to our great sorrow. Perhaps the moral is that when one sees someone who seems little to them, to leave them well enough alone. Regardless, Ovid considered this deeply important to put in his tales, and it introduces us to Apollo and to Cupid who are both big players throughout the rest of the Metamorphoses. Next, we will either actually cover the Rape of Io, which I'm not sure I want to because it's pretty well known, 
or we will cover the tale of one of Apollo's children, and we can go back to Apollo because he's pretty exciting to talk about. And it's Apollo's bastard child who sought to prove his father was indeed his father. Either way, we're going to go over Io or Apollo's kid. Alrighty, this has been Sojourners. Thanks for joining us this week. This is Never Forever, and again, you can contact me at cjones9116 at gmail.com. All things may change, but they never die. Thank you.